Hey, welcome to International Podcast Month, or IPM. IPM 2022 is brought to you by the organizational team, Cole, Tess, and Theron. A very special thank you to all of our participants, without whom this event wouldn't be possible. And now, on to the episode. In a world where there are hundreds of actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcasts, Tavern Tales is one of them. But if you're a fan of humor, great exposition, and module play, come check out our adventures as we work our way through the tales of the yawning portal, and occasionally a dungeon in a box. Every month we also step back from the table to let our junior crew sit down to tell their story on Tavern Tales Junior. So swing by and grab a seat at the bar as we present Tavern Tales weekly wherever podcasts can be found. Stories from Chaos Edge is an actual play podcast of tabletop role-playing games with me, your host Madeline Cully. In this personal experiment, I'm using my years of player experience to help explore different systems, a variety in gaming, in order to tell stories, either alone or with friends along the way. We're Pot Against the Machine, the only Pathfinder first edition actual play that I'm promoting right now. We're playing through the Iron Gods Adventure Path. We're entertainingly awkward, and we have all the robots and yogurt jokes you could ever want. And then some. Like, way, way more than you could ever want. It's getting to be a problem. Hey, check us out on your podcatcher of choice. Hello. My name is David, the host of Trials of the Apocalypse an improvised fiction anthology podcast using Powered by the Apocalypse game frameworks. And this is a fourth wall break. Hi, I know you're there, and I I know you're listening. If you enjoy today's tale of granny solving an occult murder mystery, you'd probably enjoy other games I've run. Available now in your podcatcher. Just search for Trials of the Apocalypse. I'll see you there. Welcome to a very special episode for International Podcast Month. My name is David. I run a show called Trials of the Apocalypse, where we play different Powered by the Apocalypse games and tell concise stories with it. Uh, We've played Brindlewood Bay in the past for that, uh, and now I am privileged to be able to run Brindlewood Bay once again for International Podcast Month for IPM. I've got a lovely group of people with me here that will be my mavens uh, solving mysteries today. Uh, first off, we have Mads. Please introduce yourself and your uh, and just like a quick summary of your character. Um, absolutely. So I'm uh, Madeline Colley, Mads for short. She, her, they pronouns. And I host and play in my podcast, Stories from Chaos Edge, and uh, just love doing tabletop role play. And I find Brindlewood Bay as a wonderful game for anyone that really enjoys character and uh, narrative storytelling. Yeah, my character, my maven, is Jane DeRime, basically a retired actress who has an interest in uh, the Amanda Delacourt mysteries that uh, we have our book club centered around. And uh, yeah, she's excited to to be here. <laughs> awesome. Um, and Jero, please. 
I am Jero. I am a cast member on Pod Against the Machine. We are a uh, Pathfinder first edition mainly podcast currently playing through the Iron Gods adventure path. And my character is Mary Poplar Tyson. And she is a uh, elderly widow who is very much into uh, cars and the care and restoration thereof. And one of her other main pastimes is reading the Delacorte novels. And because of that, she is a member of the uh, Brindlewood uh, Readers Club, along with our other mavens. Excited to have you. And Kyle. Hi, I'm Kyle. I am the dungeon master, the producer, editor, and uh, performer of Tavern Tales and Tavern Tales Jr. And I am also a regular in the cast of Flight Risk, a Star Wars podcast, um, all of which represented in IPM this month, which I'm really excited to be part of again. I am playing Whitney Remington. A retired jet setter, former sommelier, former horse breeder, um, an insurance adjuster and semi-pro golfer. And she was married to and is sadly widowed from her husband, Brosnan Remington, a former government official. Not the interesting kind of government official. He was portly and had asthma, and he may have done a great deal of uh, forensic accounting in according to uh, to Whitney's tales about her time with her husband. Awesome. Uh, so today we're going to be playing, as we've already mentioned, Brindlewood Bay. Uh, it is a game by Jason Cordova, published by The Gauntlet. And it is a game about retired elderly women in the community of Brindlewood Bay, Massachusetts, there on the coast, who have a murder mystery book club where they celebrate the novels of Amanda Delacourt and also solve real-life murders. And maybe somewhere along the way, especially with the campaign, uh, discover a secret, you know, eldritch cult that is lying in wait in their community. So it's got the cozy, it's got the creepy, and it's got some just lovely grandma time uh, solving some murders. Uh, it's a really great game. Uh, go out and check it out for yourself after this. But for now, let's dig in. So for today's episode of Brindlewood Bay, you turn on the television, the opening credits start playing, and as the credits roll, the birds are chirping. Um, what are, you know, what are your mavens up to? What shows across the screen as we introduce them to the audience and to today's episode? What do we see for Jane in this introductory sequence? Jane is in her home, which has decorations of the theater masks of, of comedy and tragedy and um, uh, also just fancy copies of scripts that are stacked in various corners of her home. And she's in her living room right now doing some vocal exercises and breathing. And then she is declaiming some monologue from something that she remembers from a, an experimental production that she had done and then switches immediately to a script that she had read of a horror movie um, that she was auditioning for a minor part and just trying to go back and forth like testing her memory and basically 
declaiming it to the birds that are outside. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, we get the little card at the bottom of the screen that says, you know, Jane Durime, uh, and then it flashes and switches over to Mary Poplar Tyson. Uh, so what is Mary up to? Uh, you see a kind of orangish red old 1960s Mustang in a pristine garage with the hood up and you see a pair of gloves reach up really struggling to reach pull the hood closed and you see her and she smiles dusts her hands off pulls off the pair of gloves sets them on the nice little workbench behind her and steps into her modest little villa house and closes the door behind her to the garage and steps into her kitchen to wash her hands and make herself some lunch. And once again, the cards transition uh, and we see Whitney Remington's name pop up. What is Whitney doing today in Brindlewood Bay? Whitney stands in her backyard, an idle breeze playing with her long white summer dress. Her long blonde hair pulled back under her large woven sun hat. She sighs dramatically while holding a scintillating and beautiful red wine glass, half full with a dark burgundy red. She stands before her large backyard swimming pool and appears discontented about the leaves and blades of grass that are floating on top of the pool. A skimming tool stands off to one side, and Whitney, with a tiny disconsolate cry, <laughs> moves to fetch it. Birds chirrup and the sun shines bright. Excellent. Uh, and we move into, you know, the introductory credits, you know, all the actors and the producers. And and then we blur over and the episode begins to play. Our episode today is called Bitter Rivals. Uh, it is a mystery that I and my wife Emma wrote for our podcast. I've run it several times outside of there, and I'm very excited to run it once again. Uh, one of the beauties of Brindlewood Bay Mysteries is every time you play a mystery, it turns out radically differently. So I'm very excited to see what you do with this today. The summary is as follows. The senior high school rivalry in Brindlewood Bay has escalated beyond jeers, petty pranks, and chicanery to murder. The exceedingly popular Brindlewood Bay South senior high mascot, the Firebird, was found desecrated in a bloody scene. The man behind the costume, social studies teacher Rob Kestrel, is missing. The complexity of this mystery is usually a complexity 8, but in the hopes that we can get this done in a reasonable amount of time for IPM, we're going to lower it to a complexity 6. Uh, what that means for everyone here, and for you the audience, is that uh, the complexity is the number of clues that you have to gain in the course of the game in order to get a flat roll on your theorized roll at the end. Uh, for every clue you gain past that complexity, uh, that will then give you a plus one to that roll. If you, any fewer you gain than that complexity, if you then decide to roll anyway, will be a minus one to your roll. So uh, it's recommended that you get, you know, at roughly the same or better uh, than your complexity in order to start theorizing for your mystery. Uh, there are a few establishing questions before we can just dive into our episode today. Uh, for Bitter Rivals, we have two questions. The first will be for uh, each of the mavens to answer. And then the second will be for them to answer as a group. Uh, the first question is, what did the South Senior High Firebird mean to you? And our second question is, what big game or event coming up does his demise ruin? 
Uh, and so let's get to that first question first. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if it works, uh, we could keep our order thus far. If you have an answer for Jane, Mads. Yes. Um, so Jane is reminded um, by the Firebird of a part long ago that she had in the regional company that she was with. There was an experimental play that they did, and those were wonderful because they allowed her to stretch her her acting chops and be able to, you know, not just stick with the usual traditional like acting methods and 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 try to do some improvisation and and be the writer as well as the player, as well as the actor. And she remembers that the part was conceptual of a firebird rising in the sky and they were all playing monsters. They were all playing emotions and they were just having a wonderful time being these creatures and enjoying what they were feeling. And so, I mean, finding the firebird essentially desecrated um, just kind of gave her a chill inside. Absolutely. Um, how about Mary? What does the South Senior High Firebird mean to her? Uh, well, Mary had uh, five children in her life and none of them grew up in Brindlewood Bay. She didn't move here until she retired until after her husband passed, but all of them went to similar, like fairly small community school when she lived up in, uh, White Lake up, uh, in, it wouldn't be up. It would be, uh, West in Michigan, I guess from here. Uh, and it just makes her think of her kids, her two sons, uh, who, uh, one of them actually was a football player when he was in school. So she would go to games, she'd see their mascot. And it just made her kind of think of those old days of raising her kids and just kind of the nostalgia of it. And to see the mascot, like on top of just brutalized in general, like just such an awful thing it makes her feel like it's a direct attack against mm. the past. Like it's, this is like the perfect small town little thing. And to see it just ruined like this is just awful for her. Almost too much to bear. Uh, how about Whitney? Okay. I went in a very different way with this. So <laughs> hopefully you will approve. Okay. All right. Rob Kestrel was a charming and freckled 34-year-old with probably more muscle than sense. But he was nice to look at. And he cleaned a backyard pool well enough that even though he's a social studies teacher in the day, he moonlit cleaning elderly retired ladies' pools in the evening. Combined with watching that sweaty workout, Whitney was always willing to pay him weekly to get the job done and maybe offer him a cold, sweet, and salty-ass tea afterwards and engage in idle conversation. Oh, I love it. So we have this sort of almost flirtatious relationship with Rob. Um, yeah. I love it. I don't even know if he's married, so... 
I don't think Whitney cares. Yeah. I really honestly don't think she yeah, cares. Exactly. No. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like she might not care. Kyle kind of cares, but Whitney, no, she doesn't care. That's true. Excellent. Uh, so let's how each of you as Mavens relate to this scene, this, this mystery that's been thrust upon you. Um, now we're going to get to center what happened, uh, and that'll help decide where we pick up with this mystery. Um, what big game or event coming up does his demise ruin? I'm open to all sorts of ideas here. Uh, this is sort of an open conversation for you all to establish what happened to your Firebird. Like, where, what event was ruined by this? I mean, I automatically go to, like, what season is it? So it's either the big one, which is football, or the next big one, which is basketball. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, because my brain also goes to, and it could also just be the title of the mystery makes me think, but it does definitely go to it being like a game more than anything else, like possibly against whoever Brindlewood's Wood's big rivals are. Mm, the championship game. Yeah, mm. yeah, that that sounds about right. Ooh, I like that. Okay. I'm a Canadian, so I pictured it was the hockey team. <laughs> I mean, hey, I I've, I haven't had a, a hockey game disrupted before. That could be fun. Yeah, no, that could be really fun. I mean, especially with sticks, sticks and hard pucks that go at 120 <laughs> miles an hour. That sounds awesome to me, too. And I mean, it it is a coastal town in New England, so they would absolutely have a hockey team. Boston is nearby. So that that makes perfect sense. Mm hmm. So are we thinking then like uh, a hockey championship game that Brindlewood Bay South Senior High was one of the vested competitors in and uh, came down to it? All right. Uh, so then I think here's where we start off. The championship event for the this region of Massachusetts, this is an important competition. It's actually being held in Brindlewood Bay. They get to have sort of home team status on this event this year. And Brindlewood Bay South, after clawing their way to victory through, you know, like the quarters and semifinals, like very nearly lost. Like they were down by three at halftime and managed to score those, you know, those shots in the last five minutes of the game just really went on a run for it to push to the finals. They're going to be here. It's incredible. The town is like all rallied behind their local school that has, you know, succeeded in doing this. And the morning of the competition, there's a janitor on staff who is going down to the rink to just do a, a final sweep of the ice. It's being hosted at the local community rink. Uh, the school itself doesn't have its own, so they host games here. And, you know, the night before, there had been uh, a local event uh, for, you know, people to sort of be introduced to skating. Maybe there's even like a meet and greet with the local team. So, like, it was really special for everyone. And so they cleaned up the ice a little bit afterwards, but... This janitor was being thorough, going to do one last survey of the area. And as they flick on the lights and you see them doom, 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 come on uh, across the ice, uh, normally you would expect to see, you know, the glistening white surface, uh, a few simple blue lines, maybe even if they set up nets the night before on either side. But the scene is a little bit different. In the middle of this ice rink, set up like a fire pyre are hockey sticks that have been jammed into the ice, curling up with their, the end, the curvy bit, <laughs> um, yeah. curling up all crossed together, lashed together with like some, some gym socks or something. And they have been drenched in blood. It's dripping down the, the hockey sticks there onto the ice. The, the white of the ice is stained red with blood. 
and perched atop at the center of this pyre of hockey sticks uh, is the head of the Firebird mascot, is, is the head of the Firebird. Similarly drenched with blood, its beak agape, and the janitor like drops their mop to the ground and it clatters, and they immediately reach for their phone to call, not the police. The police would never be able to handle whatever this issue is. Can't trust them with something on this level. So, of course, they call up their local murder mavens to come and check things out. <laughs> so, uh, who who among the mavens uh, mans their phone line? Just curiosity. I can't just picture the color of this I phone. I a lot of time answering calls. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like it might be... Whitney, because yeah. she seems more gregarious. I love talking on the phone and I have nothing to do all day. <laughs> and uh, your cozy activity are like charity events. So like you, I imagine, are involved in a lot of organizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's probably 8.30 a.m. You receive this call, Whitney. Um, I think uh, just so we have everybody all kind of together, I think all the mavens were already over for some morning tea Oh, Jane had already had already decided it's like, you know, we were going to have some sort of like early breakfast because she had baked a special cinnamon raisin bread recipe. Mm. So she was trying out a few different things. I mean, like, hopefully nobody's allergic to, you know, some stuff. And then (laughs) so she wanted to bring it over for fresh, fresh uh, breakfast taste. Uh, Did Mary bring anything? Uh well, I guess now she's got it. After you don't that. have to. Uh, you know, I bake. <laughs> I think, you know, I think uh, she brought over in a pair of uh, little Pyrex Tupperwares with uh, brightly colored plastic lids on them. Uh, one for each of you for later in the day for dinner, some uh, schnitzel. Mm, lovely. How about Whitney? Uh, anything she prepares? Whitney brought two things whitney brought sangrea because it's not morning drinking if there's fruit involved <laughs> and she brought a great deal of complaints about having to uh, skim her own backyard pool today <laughs> and and knew that those complaints would go uh, would wash down better with sangrea mm, certainly certainly so the three of you are gathered here when what does your phone look like? Uh, does it, is it a cell phone? Is it like a wall mount? Oh, absolutely. No. Uh, Whitney's got like the modern first, uh, like the most up to date uh, Pro Max iPhone with mm-hmm. a uh, gold see through OtterBox with all the bells and whistles. And it's very shiny. And they have they have the ones where it has the uh, the like the gold mm-hmm. black suspended. Yeah, and, like, exactly. And so you can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your ringtone goes off and you you lift your phone up to your ear uh, and you hear a voice that you're not wholly familiar with. His, his voice is gruff uh, on the phone, uh, and, and he's... Hello, are these the, the, the murder mavens? Yes, this is. May I, this is Whitney Remington. May I ask who's calling? Oh, uh, well, uh, pleasure to meet you, Miss, Miss Whitney. I'm uh, Bartleby, and uh, I work here at the community... I sent her and uh, there's been a terrible, no good murder. Another one? Heaven forfend. Have you alerted the authorities yet? Uh, well, not exactly. It's a, a, a sensitive situation, what with the, the game upcoming tonight. And uh, 
I didn't want to raise anyone's hackles unnecessarily. With murder most foul, I can understand that. Ladies, it looks like we're going to have to put our little morning soiree aside. We've got... We've got a crime to solve. We'll be right down there, Bartleby. Well, I really appreciate you ladies looking into this. I know that if anyone in this town can handle a caper such as this, it would be the the esteemed uh, mavens and your your mystery club. And he hangs up the phone. Uh, you know where you're headed. Uh, do you head straight there? Do you grab anything else along the way? Uh, what What do the mavens do? Are we taking the Shelby? No. Yes, I guess we could. I just had it uh, waxed yesterday, so sure. I mean, Jane always has her very big bag. I mean, it's a tote that has things that she might need if she needs to, well, pass off as someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Big canvas beach totes. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense because of our touristy town. But yeah, she'll always carry this thing with her. So I change into some more sensible sneakers Mm. instead of uh, probably pumps or something that I would have worn to a breakfast maven (laughs) gathering. Mm -hmm. So I I definitely change into my sleuthing sneakers, I call them. I think uh, Mary makes sure that the schnitzel gets put in the fridge so it doesn't go bad. And she I imagine she probably has a change like just like some nice, comfortable, flat sneakers in her car that she would change into. Because I imagine she would also have something. I don't think she'd have pumps on, but she probably would have had like maybe like a pair of open-toed sandals that would like not be good for a lot of walking. So she's going to swap that out too. Jane's like a small woman, um, probably compared to the other two. And she is usually wearing some kind of slim fitting t-shirt with some slim pants and then her ubiquitous combat boots because she always decides that she needs to be prepared for any kind of terrain and uh she's because it's going to the rink like she knows that she has to put on like um her um lined parka to to feel warmer since she's smaller and she's like you know um relatively slender she knows that she needs to to have a little bit more warmth to go against the cold yeah. And it does get pretty chilly. Uh, you leave the house to a very, very brisk winter morning. And uh, oh, I, I do have one question before you leave, though. What is the fate of the cinnamon raisin bread? I have to know. Um, basically, uh, Jane brought it in one of those wicker baskets that has like the, the nice tea towels in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, you know, she cuts off some slices, like, you know, presses it upon her friends and says, you must try this. I did like a little bit of tweaking with my recipe. I mean, like just just a bite on the way. I mean, you know, this this won't hurt anything. And then she will place the rest of the bread in the wicker basket and then just like kind of cover it over with the tea towel. So this way it stays fresh without being um, stale in like a refrigerator, which you don't do with bread. Yeah, so mm, totally. Whitney has eaten none of it. And there is a clatter and a crash as we drive off. And she has left the plate with the untouched piece of bread on the roof of the Shelby accidentally. (laughs) And she goes, oh, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'll get you a new plate. I'm so forgetful in this important moment. But it definitely appears as though at least half the sangria has already been drunk. 
<laughs> mostly by Whitney. <laughs> kind of figured that. <laughs> I, I did also just realize that <laughs> we've centered part of this with Whitney on uh, her pool and it is wintertime. That's okay. It's a heated, heated, maybe yeah, like absolutely semi indoor pool. Yeah. Oh, Miss Jet Setter here. Like she's probably been out in the in the sauna slash like, you know, pool back mm-hmm. in like, you know, in Iceland somewhere. And then it's oh, like, yeah. you know, do the sauna, then the dip and then the sauna and the dip. She's, yes. she's used to this. I, I accept and embrace that, too, as well. It is a heated pool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm imagining it's like an in ground, but it's outside with one of those big like birdcage things mm-hmm. over yeah. it. Yep. And it's open to the side, so like that's how there's leaves getting in, but it's covered on the top type thing. It keeps the snow out, but never the leaves. <laughs> uh, and, and this is, I imagine this is, uh, you know, sort of early onset of the winter. Um, I imagine the hockey season... Uh, hockey season ends in April. Time. Okay, so you're, you're getting some like early leaves yeah. that are, are growing and falling, and maybe there's a, a cold snap and you lost some leaves and exactly. entered your pool. Perfect, okay. Uh, <laughs> unnecessary continuity, but we have it. Uh, you head to the <laughs> rink. Uh, your car runs off. Um, I imagine that uh, you're at Whitney's place uh, and hers is a, a more generous estate. Uh, so you're in town, but like probably coastal, right? The rink is, uh, I imagine, a little bit deeper towards the center of town. So you're you driving the car for, you know, 10 minutes or so. Not particularly heavy traffic here in Brindlewood Bay. Certainly not at 9 a.m. on a Friday. Um, this is a, of course, like a more, it is a, a vibrant community, but it is also a little bit more retirement oriented. So nobody's like rushing to work at this hour. I imagine Whitney always likes to sit in the back seat, no matter what. She never calls shotgun. She always sits in the back seat and she always l- stretches her feet out across the back of the seat as well. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Jane is always insisting that she sits in the shotgun seat because she wants to see what's going on. Mm. This is why we're good friends. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, you know, stretch away, dear. Stretch away. Yeah. <laughs> Man the shotgun. Everyone knows their role in the car. You know it's a good group. Yeah. So you arrive at the uh, local ice rink. And I will say uh, Mary probably goes a little faster than she needs to. A bit over the speed limit, not enough to get pulled over, but enough that it's probably not the smoothest ride. That's fine by me. I imagine. You know where the speed traps are, so. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, she knows where it's okay to gun it to 15 over and where it's safer to stay at only five over. Uh, You get there. So actually, I say like normally it's a 10 minute drive. Mary does it in six. And you you arrive at the ice rink. Um, so I have a paint the scene question for this venue. Uh, you arrive at the rink. Uh, I imagine that the general layout of the building, there's like a um, sort of an, an entry area where you can like check in and get states if you don't already have some. Uh, but then otherwise, there are a couple of locker rooms off either side of the rink. There's, of course, the seating area for people to watch events there. And then there's the ice itself. Bartleby is there to meet you there like on the stairs leading down to the rink uh, with the, the all the seats on either side of you, all of the banisters. But I have a paint the scene question for everyone to answer. You can all contribute something to this scene. Uh, the question is, what or who is making investigating the, in this case, the ice, difficult for you? What, what's making investigating this place hard? Nico Nicolopoulos, the Zamboni driver, is... Uh frustrated because he's responsible for the ice and so he's 
looming large and Greek off to one side and his swarthy complexion at odds with the crystalline clear ice that he tends here at the hockey arena. And uh, he is, you know, looks angry at uh, Bartleby the janitor. Mm. Uh, throw his name in the chat for me. We'll add sure. him to our list of folks. Did you say who or what is who or what? Okay. And the game is tonight, right? Uh, yes, it was supposed to start at, we'll say, eight tonight. Yeah. Um, so we're like a little under 12 hours till then. And I mean, it's basically where like, you know, you've got a, a, like a bunch of vendors that are that are have come in themselves early because they're mm-hmm. trying to get set up and making sure that yeah. their their stalls or whatever are are stocked and ready to go for the big game. And so um, there's like a gaggle of people that are that are, have already been here, regardless of Bartleby's call. And so therefore, they are in the way and possibly um, ruining any chance of of getting untainted clues <laughs> with a small C. <laughs> so excellent. So we've got a steady influx of people and vendors who are trying to carry out their business. I think and Bartleby have for now barred off access to the rink so that this isn't necessarily common knowledge yet. But there are certainly people around at the venue. Oh, I got uh, going to say maybe there is a local deputy going to go with Johnny Pangborn, Mm. who is not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he knows there's got to be something going on. There's something weird. And you mentioned specifically that the Zambo or not that the janitor didn't mention didn't bring it to the police Mm -hmm. because they're kind of incompetent on this stuff. So he's kind of sniffing around. He hasn't gotten to see the ice yet, but he thinks there's something here and he's maybe like we kind of don't want him to see us because he knows if the mavens are there there's something up okay so i think johnny's off in one of the locker rooms right now when you arrive but he is present so we have all of these factors that are here to exist as complications for us you arrive and bartleby greets you there at the top of the stairs the watchful eyes of nico nicolopoulos staring daggers into his back down by the rink um and bartleby bartleby walks up towards you uh he's Bartleby looks like deceptively sturdy for such a slight build. He's wearing a like a full sort of more traditional janitor's jumpsuit. It's like a onesie that zips up. the The cuffs of his you know his onesie are are, are soaked in something. Um, but like, is it the the blood that you can kind of see down on the ice? Is it just Coca Cola that he was cleaning up earlier this morning? You don't know. Uh, but he's definitely coated in a little bit of something everywhere. He has deeply a deeply lined face, uh, framing lifeless, unblinking eyes. And you get the sense from him that though he moves fairly slowly, it's kind of like a tortoise in the hare situation. He may move slowly, but he is inevitable. Bartleby will be. Um, and he steps up. He's like dragging a heavy trash can behind him. Uh, there's already like uh, a couple of hockey sticks sticking out of it. And he comes up to you and, oh, uh, maybe I'm so glad you could make it there's already a bit of a hubbub happening i was hoping that your sleuthing could produce a a a, a quick conclusion to this mystery i'm very uh, fearful about the integrity of our event tonight and and there is an awful lot of blood down there 
when we appreciate your confidence. I mean, that's that's wonderful. I mean, but uh, is is the deputy here? Is is Pangborn here? Yeah, I I didn't call them, but he just kind of showed up. He always shows up. He's got a nose for this sort of thing, but then he doesn't do anything. But anyway, I've more importantly, I've brought you all here. Uh, what's what's your take? You can see the the situation a little bit. Oh, sugar, where'd you get those sticks? Were they part of the ass display that's over there, or are they just other ones? Uh, a couple of them had kind of toppled over, and uh, I didn't want anyone to trip over them on the ice, so I collected them. And nobody else has been on the ass as of yet? Uh, he like gestures with his head towards Nico, uh, behind him, further down the stairs, uh, a- a- apart from uh, Mr. Nicolopoulos, uh, just myself. I've been here since seven thirty, and I turned on the lights around eight, and was greeted by this most terrific sight. I mean, is it anybody dead? I mean, it, or was it just the? Just the head of the mascot of the Firebird. The our dear Firebird has, of course, fallen here ahead of the most important event of the season. But I, uh, I did notify the school right after you. They, they of course, would need to know of this treachery, uh, and they t- told me that the costume is the sole ownership of. Uh, it was a it was a Mr. R- Rob Rob Kestrel I, I think it was. They said that he was the the man in the mask. I never knew myself. He was always just wowed by his crazy antics. But did you did you see a like did you see an actual person here? I I, I haven't found a, a person. I've just been a, around the stands and on the ice a little bit, but. Uh, there is an awful lot of blood, and that must have come from somewhere. I, I hope this this isn't too awful of a question, but that head is just the mascot head, right? Did you check it? It, it's just high enough off the ground that I hadn't been able to reach it quite yet. Uh, I, I certainly hope that it's. I mean, either way, it's a tragedy. There's a very little gasp when he said Kestrel um, and a little hand to the mouth of Whitney, but it largely goes overlooked. Jane uh, speaks to to Bartleby. She says, who would be the one to, I guess, set up the ladder and and try to get that head down? Would it be you? Uh, I I would want to set up a ladder on the ice. Right, right, right. If you... If we pull on the sticks, I we could probably dismantle the the construction of that pyre to the bird. Hmm. Why don't you beat it and go get us a ladder? We'll go out on the ice here and have a look. See if we can find some clues. I, I should be able to rustle you up a step stool at the very least. Um, she reaches out and grips his bicep and looks at him deeply in the eye. Thank you. Yeah, he maintains eye contact, unblinking. I won't fail you. And he, step by slow, plodding step, uh, heads up to go and find a step stool for you. 
I turn to, to, to Mary and Whitney, I say, I think it's wonderful that we have such a fan, but he can be a little disturbing. Am I, am I, am I wrong? He's rather intense. Yes, very much so. He's a janitor by trade, probably by choice, so um, no doubt he doesn't mind getting dirty. Um, and furthermore, he's a sort of very strong arm and a rather unwavering gaze, so I think he's trustworthy. I don't really think him to be a suspect at this point, do no, either of you? I don't think that he would be a suspect. I mean, I'm just, well, I mean, again, I, I've experienced some fans before and... Um, just hoping it's not one of the more, as Mary has just said, more intense ones. So anyway, let's let's go see what we can see. I'd like to, I mean, a trail? I mean, it might have been obliterated by now by all these people. So hopefully not. On the ice itself? I don't think I, so. Well, I mean, not on the ice itself, but I mean, why? Yeah, this sounds absolutely grisly. <laughs> Let's go take a look. Well, speaking of the ice itself, uh, give me just a moment and she's going to step over. You said Nico is still kind of glowering off in the corner. Yeah. So basically, uh, Bartleby had met you at the top of these concrete stairs that go down to the rink. Uh, and Nico is waiting by the little gate that lets you onto the ice. Uh, and he was sort of staring daggers at Bartleby from the base. Oh, oh, oh so he's so we'll pass him as we're going to it. And yep. we don't have to step out of the way. OK. Yep. Uh, I was just going to say, as we kind of pass by him, Mary will say, Oh, uh, Mr. Nicopolis, uh, it's, it's Mary. I live down the street from you. Uh, you haven't started running your machine over any of this yet, right? He like grunts and then like shakes his head no. Okay. And your wife's doing good? He grunts and nods his head up and down. So she'll kind of whisper to the other two. We should keep an eye out for tracks or something, maybe, on the ice. Like Jane said, there's been too much traffic out here, but maybe there's some clue there. Yeah, so I now open this up to the mavens. We're going to withdraw a little bit to direct what happens here. Um, Before you do, I just want to suggest that Nico doesn't say anything because the dentist has wired his jaw shut after a terrible fall out of the Zamboni. Uh, and he, he hurt, his, hurt his jaw. Oh, I love that. That's why he's just oh, grunting. Yeah. Speaking is very uncomfortable for him. Oh my yeah. gosh. And she has no idea, which is why she's asking. It's too funny. I love that. Just only ask him yes or no questions. Yes. Right. Like <laughs> nod or shake. Uh, excellent. So, uh, yeah, you have at your disposal, uh, you have the rink itself, you have some of the stands, of course, can check out the locker rooms, you can check out the the surrounding building, there's the concessions uh, just beyond the far doors. So there's lots of things that you could take a look at. There's, of course, also the pyre of sticks covered in blood with the head on it. So like, I'm assuming we'll probably take a look there as well. Uh, but you're free to like split up if you need to. Uh, Brindlewood Bay is one of those games where often the mavens sort of fan out and then come back together, as is sort of inherent to the genre. So uh, what do each of you want to do here? And we'll sort of high level that and then we'll get into action and roles. Jane is going to start working the perimeter a little bit and then working her way down into the stands. Like to see if there's like a like kind of like a trace trail of some sort leading from the ice 
into the stands area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about Whitney? Whitney uh, is going right for the pyro sticks. Mm, understandable. Uh, Mary? If they've got those two covered, I think Mary will maybe then head towards the direction of the locker rooms. Mm. Okay. I actually would have suspected that Whitney would have headed to the locker rooms, but that's just me. <laughs> uh, I, I do ask, uh, just to get a little bit more clarity on what each of you is doing. So, uh, Jane, you're just sort of like looking around the perimeter, looking through the stands. Are you just kind of like plying your your insight to try to f- kind of figure out if anything looks weird or or just see what you find? Is that accurate? Yeah, that that that's about accurate. I mean, like I'm seeing that the 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 pyre thing is like set up in the middle of the ice, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, so the head is hanging off of like I guess the central score, and then um yeah, just kind of like seeing if there's any indication of of anything like around yeah. the the staircases and stuff. So okay, uh, so I think I will need a meddling role from you uh, that is going to be with reason. Uh, as you are applying your wits to the situation. Uh, while you're getting that roll together, we'll come back to the result here in a second. Um, Whitney, mm-hmm. you are investigating the sort of pyre of sticks, the blood, the head. Yep. Um, are you also just kind of like applying your reason in the situation, trying to suss out what's going on, or are you doing anything specific with them? No, I'm, I'm trying to g- generally suss things out, but also my husband liked to watch the television show Man Tracker and then complain about you know he did those things in the wild and how much harder they are to do in the real world, and then he would pontificate, even though he was totally not an interesting type of federal agent person. He still had all these weird esoteric knowledges about tracking people in cities and so i'm going to check the ice to see if i can get a vantage point maybe with that ladder to look down to see if there's any footprints in the ice um that may be tinted with the blood or whatnot and maybe get a boot print Mm. all right Uh, so i definitely think you as well take a medal with reason then and i'll also remind everyone that you do have a cozy little place so if you ever want to use one of your items to boost a roll just bear that in mind um and uh mary how about you uh, so you're going to check out the locker rooms. Are you yeah. going to try to find and talk to the deputy or are you going to try to avoid the deputy? I what think she's going to try to avoid him. Uh, she heard that he was that that's kind of where he is. Like she would assume that the men's locker room would make more sense because that's where like if the mascot was getting ready, that's where he would be. So she's going to maybe just try to sneakily open up the door and look in and see if there's anybody currently in there. Hmm. Okay. So then I think that'll be a composure role for you. So it'll be meddling with composure. As you are trying to do this sort of stealthily, you have to have your nerves about you. Yeah, that's your good bonus. <laughs> good. Uh, while you make that roll, and again, keep that uh, result in mind, I'm going to go back to Jane investigating the perimeter and investigating the, the stands. Uh, how is your metal? Six plus three plus one. Ooh, so that is a 10. So when rolling the metal move uh, on a 10 plus, you get a hit. You can find a clue and I will tell you what it is. I will ask, uh, would you like to spend a crown to bump that up to also gaining a void clue? I would like to spend a crown. Yes. Okay. And in fact, I will because it's a one shot and it's like like to go weird. 
going ahead to click on Shadow in the Garden. Ooh, excellent. So Crown of the Void. So a quick explanation uh, for anyone listening for Brindlewood Bay. So there are crowns in the game, which are a mechanic where you can mark a crown. You have two different categories. You have crowns of the queen, crowns of the void. Um, Each of them have different obligations that are tied to using any of the crowns to boost a roll, whether that be from a miss to a success or from a success to a greater success. But by marking a crown in the case, uh, in this case, the crown of the void, a shadow in the garden hereafter during cozy vignettes focused on Jane uh, or on cozy moves involving her, she must narrate a scene uh, with how dark entities subtly reveal themselves. So that'll be fun. Uh, but there's no immediate consequence to the game. You just spend the crown and boost the roll. So that will give you a 12 plus. So I will give you both a clue and also a void clue that you run across. We'll noodle on that and I'll give you your clues here in a second. Uh, Whitney, you investigate the sticks um, and the, the whole pyre built here. Yeah, so just to confirm, I'm rolling 2d6 yep. and I'm going to add my reason to that. Yes. Okay, so I rolled an 11 and I had to add <laughs> I was like prepared for failure because yeah. I'm like, yay, I love failing and seeing how things develop, mm-hmm. but I'm like stupid dice um so that's a 12 then excellent so you will also get a clue and a void clue i think oh. it's the ladder that helped i think it's because i described the ladder oh we're, we're coming off to a strong start on this one how about mary uh mary i thought i was gonna have a high roll but <laughs> apparently not uh got a six plus a one plus a two for a nine Ooh. nine okay so on a seven to nine uh you do gain a clue Uh, But there is a complication uh, that you will endure while you're searching, either with the clue or with the search. So I think I will swing around to Mary. Uh, I'll go back through the same order. I'll swing around to Mary last because the complication usually is what moves uh, our scene along. Um, So first, Jane. So Jane, you survey the edges of the ice looking for any signs of surprising entrance or or someone maybe dragging something, any signs in the ice of that, uh, as well as combing through the stands immediately around the rink. Uh, In the course of this, you find a couple of interesting things. The first thing, and this is going to be your your formal clue, while going through the stands, there are several of the seats near the entrance to the ice that have little school flags that you would wave around, right? That, That just show off your school pride. But the strange thing is, the event that was here last night was for South High. It was for the Firebird. Um, But the flags you find, rather than being in the colors of the Firebird, red and gold, they are blue and silver, those for North High, the Buccaneers. So you're finding these opposite school colors. And as far as you know, like they were knocked out of the season early on. So it's kind of strange to find those flags sitting here in any of these seats. Uh, The technical name for this clue is North Senior High colors where they don't belong. And you also find something else while you're combing these seats. On one of them is half of a muffin in a wrapper. Like it's, it's still got the bottom of the wrapper on it. It's just sitting in this seat. But when you like pass it, when you like sort of open up the seat to find it sort of wedged in this, you know, collapsing seat, there's something about it that's compelling to you. The smell of it maybe is alluring. What's your, what's Jane's favorite type of muffin? Banana, banana nut, because it's so warm and so, so 
not like chewy necessarily, but I mean, it's just got that wonderful, like soft kinky type texture. And then with the nuts, you know, like it's like the, the, the nice um, toasted roasted flavoring mm. um, mixed in with the, with the tender banana. Yeah. You, you look at this half eaten muffin and although it's been sitting here next to this ice rink for goodness knows how long it must be cold. It feels strangely warm in your hand. And as you're holding it, as you're smelling, like your your mind is almost overcome by the incredible banana nut smell coming off of this muffin. And without even thinking about it, you just raise it to your mouth and bite by bite, eat this half-eaten muffin out of the wrapper. You just feel compelled to. And as you finish with this wrapper in your hand, this empty wrapper now very cold in your hands, how is Jane feeling about that? It's almost like waking up out of a dream. Like I thought that I had just gotten this from from a, like a bakery, but I mean, it wasn't. It was in this wrapper mm -hmm. and like as if it was store bought, but I mean, it was warm and it smelled so good and then she's tasting this and then she's kind of savoring it a little bit like was that did, was that my imagination but I imagine like she has the wrapper in her hands and she sees the crumbs still sticking to to the bottom of the wrapper yeah so she's she's disturbed <laughs> I'd like you to add the condition uh a little disturbed sure um for for Jane and I'd like you to add the void clue a bit of muffin that tastes impossibly good. So you find that over in the stands, uh, probably after eating this partially consumed muffin you found, hoping no one else saw that. Um, <laughs> you maybe turn and see the watchful gaze of, <laughs> of Nico by the ice, just sort of watching you. And she just, and she just um, looks at him with her soft brown eyes and just kind of, lifts up the wrapper and smiles with a big <laughs> grin of like, yay, yum. <laughs> uh, you don't know whether it's the uh, metal in his mouth or just his general disposition, but his, his face does not change. He just watches. Right. <laughs> uh, and we flash then over to Whitney, who has, have you been disassembling it? Have you just stepped on the ladder and are just trying to access sort of the head at the top of it? What is Whitney doing exactly? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing Whitney does is look underneath, like kind of scooch up to see if she can see if there's a head actually inside the head of the mascot. And then she was going to get up onto the ladder um, somewhat closer so she could get a better viewpoint of uh, maybe any um, steps in the ice leaving the uh, scene. Yeah. Uh, so Bartleby has brought you this step ladder that you use to gain a better vantage point all of this. When you're inspecting the base of it, you can see that each of the sticks has been best as can be done with a surface of solid ice kind of jammed down to get a little bit more grip to keep this centered here on the rink. And with some force, it's definitely penetrated the top layer of the ice that'll take some time to fix before the game tonight, if it's able to happen at all. Um, and as you're inspecting the, the sticks themselves and like the blood dripping off of them, your, your eyes naturally drawn upwards. And something that Bartleby had missed, you see, and this is your uh, formal clue, you see embedded near the top of one of the hockey sticks is a dagger that is also covered in the same blood. And its pommel is also in those North Senior High colors. 
Uh, it is a silver dagger handle with a blue gem in it. This is a ritual dagger in North Senior High colors. Oh my goodness. Uh, is it hard to remove? Um, it's pretty well wedged in there. I would say it's probably like embedded, not like all the way to the hilt, but the dagger is definitely poking out of both sides of the stick. So it's through it. So I mean, I'd wow. say, is it difficult to, to open? Uh, how good is your vitality? <laughs> Zero. Uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty jammed in there. It's hard. Tough to remove. Okay. And is there anything I see from the exit of the ice? Yeah. So this is where I'm going to give you your void clue. Ooh. You gain a, a higher perspective on the rank. And something catches your eye. There's a discoloration on the ice. You don't see any... Um, footsteps per se someone might have been here but maybe they covered their trail behind them obviously someone came here this earlier this morning or overnight but from your vantage point you can see that in addition to the lines that are are painted under the ice and of course the blood that's dripping onto it there's another color it's it's grayish sooty almost like charcoal there's a thin enough layer of it that it would have been easy to have missed from the ground but since you have your heightened vantage point you can see that it's in a circular shape quite wide around this central pyre. And as you follow the lines with your eyes, you very quickly realize that it forms a recognizable shape. It is the logo of the Firebird, and it has been placed here in a large circle around this pyre with ashes. Oh my. So this void clue is a pile of ashes in the shape of the Firebird logo. How is Whitney feeling after finding all of this? Taller. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she definitely feels like her perspective has shifted, not just from being up the ladder, but also that this is some sort of ritualistic thing that has happened. Yeah, Uh, I'd like you to take the condition enhanced perspective. Okay. Meanwhile, Mary... Yes. Uh, Towards the edge of the rink, uh, there are uh, two sets of doors going to different locker rooms. You put your ear up against the first. You don't hear anything. You put your ear up against the second and you hear like boots, sneakers squeaking on the linoleum. You'd presume that that one is the one where the officer currently is. So you sensibly take the other door and begin your investigation. The locker room, I actually have a paint the scene for this. Hmm. So this will be just uh, this actually this will be for everyone, but it's it's going to like the question for uh, what big game or event coming up. It's one that you all can answer together, but it is about one thing. And this question is, there's a fine layer of something on everything in here. What is it? Hmm. Salt? X body spray. that's hilarious that's because i was thinking of the that previous void clue i was going to say maybe like ash but (laughs) could be what what all do you think i like all of those offerings uh we we must settle on one okay so i put your body's (laughs) (laughs) i do like the idea that you walk in here and you just immediately are hit by this wave uh, an ass- uh, assault on your 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 mind and your nostrils um, from all this axe body spray. So yeah, you 
you enter in. Um, it's a fairly small locker room. It's you know maybe ten foot by twenty five feet. Um, there's a series of lockers against one wall. There's a long bench that runs down through the middle. There's like a couple of trash cans in this room. Um, if I may, there's also Axe Phoenix deodorant body mm-hmm. spray. Oh, that is a. Yeah. It's specifically the Phoenix scent. Yes, excellent. I actually know what that smells like. <laughs> yeah, me too. I didn't even know that was a thing. I just mentioned it because it's like, you know, it's like I can just imagine the locker room. <laughs> yeah. Now I have a, a visceral, like <laughs> a, a, a scent embedded in my brain as it will be forever. I've seen that one, but I don't know if I've ever smelled that. <laughs> I mean, to some extent, they all smell the same, which is not mm-hmm. very good. <laughs> Disgusting. Thank you. <laughs> The team uh, requirement, though, because they're the Firebirds. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it smells like Phoenix Axe body spray you enter. Just to get a little bit more uh, of, a, of a perspective for what Mary's doing in this scene, um, how are you investigating this space? Like, what are, you, uh, what are you looking at as you go through? I think the main thing she's going to be looking for is either evidence of the rest of the mascot costume because we only saw the head out there or possibly if there are named lockers which i don't know what they are because it's like a community center thing it's not owned by the school but if there are she'd maybe be keeping an eye out for anything with his name on it uh the teacher specifically yeah rob kestrel okay kestrel yeah yeah uh either of those two things evidence of the uh costume or any evidence of anything that belonged to him I think you enter this room uh, and you're first, of course, greeted by the far wall, which is just this row of lockers. And I think there are a handful that maybe like have some like sticky notes or, or like temporary tags. I think maybe oh, some of the parents decorated up the locker room. Uh, this is the, the home court one. So they've like decorated up with each of the different like all the seniors get special like stars and stuff around their names. And, you know, it's, it's all dolled up. They've got streamers. Uh, and all of that looks as you would expect. But you turn and look at the big concrete, one of the, the cinder block wall uh, that those lockers face. And you can see that likely with that very same blood from the pyre outside in big letters on that wall, splashed either with a brush or with something else, perhaps the words, the days of the firebird are numbered. And this is your formal clue. You see that on the wall there. And I imagine you're perhaps a little bit startled. How is Mary feeling right now? Uh, Well, I think when she turns around and sees that, like she's definitely going to kind of like almost jump back. And especially if it's in blood again, because at this (laughs) point, it sounds like we're at about four different people's worth of (laughs) 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 This is... she's honestly starting to wonder if maybe we should have left this for the police. Like she feels like we're in over our heads on this, but she's going to power through it. Like he called the mavens and mavens are going to do it. We're going to solve this crime. Add, add the condition over your head. And as you're staring up at those big letters, you hear the handle twisting on the door and you see a silhouette with a hat beyond it you would presume the deputy uh, as they're moving in to check this room as well. That is like frosted glass, so you can see their silhouette. They would not be able to see you at all yet. How do you respond in the room? Uh, 
if she looks around, is there a second door maybe like going out? Because I'm assuming there would be one to go to the rink and then another to go to like a hallway in the back or something. Does she see that? Yeah, I would say there's definitely a secondary door. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she's going to try to as quickly and quietly as she can try to get out that door before he comes in the door she came through. Then I would like a composure roll yet again. Uh, this time, instead of for the meddling move, this is a I think this is a day move. It's still in the morning. Uh, you're in a mostly safe environment right now. So this will be the day move. Um, and before you roll, I think you will be taking this at disadvantage because of your over your head condition. I think this one thing on top of the other here, this will uh, affect the situation. That's three die. Take the lowest two. Yep, exactly. And uh, for the day move, uh, I first ask you, what are you afraid is going to happen here? Like, what, what will happen if you fail or lose your cool? Uh, I think if she fails, then what would happen is she'd probably stumble and take too long trying to get out. Mm -hmm. And he would come in and she would have to explain what she's doing here <laughs> to this deputy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll. Uh, and can I uh, yeah. spend a crown on this? Uh, you'll you'll spend that after the result. We'll we'll see what the result is, okay. uh, and then go from there. Uh, that is an eight, an eight total. All right. So eight total. Yes. On a seven to nine, uh, with the day move, uh, I the keeper will tell you how your actions would leave you vulnerable, uh, and you can choose to go. You can choose to back down, or you can decide to go through with it. So, I think what will happen here, uh, and again, you can you can choose what you do. But what will happen here is you will be too slow to get through that other door. The door will open and you will be dealing with the deputy immediately. And not only will, of course, you be found here, but that will also connect the other mavens, implicate them as well for their presence here. So if you would like, we can follow down that path. Uh, otherwise, you are welcome to spend a crown. I'm trying to think. Uh, so that it, that ups it one success level, correct? Yep, it would uh, a crown. Yep, yeah. it would get you to a ten plus. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's too early in this to get derailed by this guy. Uh, <laughs> so I am going to uh, spend a crown. I'm going to do a, a queen crown. Okay. Let me do. Let me look. Uh, one that seems like it would be a good one for this. Yeah, with the crowns of the queen, you'll have to narrate a short scene. You don't have to do that immediately, um, but it is, I always say, best uh, if you are able to do it relatively close to when the role happens mm -hmm. to try to tie it in in some fashion if you can. Ooh, you know what? I like the uh, a flashback showing how you were an imperfect mother. Right. And she thinks back and she remembers a time when she was opening the door to one of her daughter's rooms because she heard a noise while the daughter was grounded and happened to open the door just in time to catch her trying to sneak out the window, at which point she just yelled at her and was very angry, and the two of them just didn't speak to each other for like a week after that. And she's imagining this being a very similar situation. <laughs> it just is enough to get her to speed up that little bit to be able to get out the room in time. Absolutely. Yeah, you you steal yourself. You stop the shaking of your hands long enough to get the door, twist it, pull it open, and you make your way into the following hallway, closing the door gently behind yourself before continuing on. Mary makes her way down into the lower level in the 
I'm imagining there's uh, this is like kind of the access uh, to the building. This is the lower access. This is just a hallway that leads to some storage rooms, uh, as well as a door out the back mm-hmm. uh, that would take you to where maybe like the buses or something would let students in. Um, so you're in that hallway and you see someone who has just come in through those back doors. You see someone has entered there. And I'm actually going to shift from that scene. You you see this person has just walked in back to the ice, back to the rink. Jane, I think you've met back up with Whitney uh, there in the middle, uh, having completed your rounds, having eaten your strange muffin. Um, do you like pocket the wrapper or or do you like still like sort of carry it weirdly in your hand just off of this experience? No, she's going to find the the nearest receptacle and then like, you know, chuck it in there after looking at it like, why did I do that? But she actually like still tastes, she actually still tastes the, like the little bits of the banana. And then like, you know, some, some of the, some of the, the walnuts are like in the back of the, back of the tongue. Yeah. It's whenever you, you touch one of those crumbs, like yeah, it's incredible. Like damn good. <laughs> it's, it's when you're not tasting it, the transcendence of that experience feels hazy and distant. But like when you pick out a piece of that walnut out of your teeth in the back of your mouth, you're like uh, just a little bit transported back to that moment again. And it's incredible. Yeah, I forgot all about my cinnamon raisin and something <laughs> other stuff, bread. It's like, damn it. So you make your way back into the ice to Whitney. Whitney, you've stepped down from your step stool. Uh, Can I still be on the ladder? Oh, if you want to. Sure. Yeah. Jane, get your smiling face over here and help me down off this ladder. I will come and join you up there. <laughs> no, don't come up here. I just want to help me down. Ah, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And what's got you smiling so bright? I haven't seen a smile on your face like that since you made that uh, special dried cranberry and rum cinnamon rolls at one it time. It was. You found it delicious, too. Possibly because of the amount of rum I put in there, but you still enjoyed it. But yes, I... I don't know if I could tell you this or not, and I am. If this sounds gross, I I apologize. But I found a muffin that tasted incredible. It was like it was fresh baked when I found it, and I ate it. I don't know why I ate it, but I ate it. As Jane is like reaching out her hand to help you down from this. The wrapper in your hand because that would have been perfect. <laughs> no, I threw it out. I threw it out. No, I totally threw it out. I totally threw out the wrapper. You are an odd one sometimes, my dear. <laughs> I don't blame you for thinking so. You found a warm muffin in the stands and you ate it. I did. It smelled so good. It was. It was like somebody had just made it. Like it came out of out of my oven or something that's interesting what perspective did they have on the macabre scene before us here was it was it a good vantage point i i mean i found some 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 flags of the rival school of north north senior high where the muffin was nearby yes that's so interesting because there is over there a dagger embedded in one of those blades of the sticks. I can't get it out for the life of me. It's too deeply wedged in there. Maybe I'll get a handsome straw man like that Nico to come over and do so. But nonetheless, it is also in the Buccaneers' colors with the blue sapphire and the silver pommel. I mean, I know they're rivals, but would they hate us that much? 
Really? I mean, it seems incredible. We need to find, we need to find Mary. Well, first, I want to get your help and get over there into the pie itself and look underneath that, uh, that mascot's helmet. I want to see if there's actually anything inside there. And we do need to figure out if this is, in fact, blood or paint or some other nebulous thing. Oof. Okay. If you collect a blood sample, how do you collect it? Just, what's, what's the image there? I mean, she does have a tote bag worth of stuff. I mean, yeah, you, you have a to- I, you could just like, you know, dip a, a spare shirt from your tote bag in it. Uh, you know, anything you want. I'm just sort of curious how you do it. I finish off my glass of sangria and then scrape <laughs> some of the frozen oh blood my into my cup. You're making a blood slushy? What? It's I mean, conspicuous. I'm not making it. It's already there. <laughs> I'm simply gathering. Oh, oh, Whitney. That's like saying somebody at a party made the punch when they pour themselves a glass. It's <laughs> the perpetrator of this terrible crime made the punch in this situation. <laughs> right? This is definitely a, a spiked punch. Jane head up to to Whitney and say, I don't know. I mean, who do we know if they can that can examine this and just make sure if it is blood? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I did try to flirt with the forensic specialist down at the precinct, but Allison Wamel is just not interested. Mm-hmm. Maybe it can go simpler than that, since we are going to be, well, if we really have to, I guess, we can always try to talk to one of the science teachers and then see if uh, they can put it under a microscope. <laughs> uh, as you're having this conversation, I think uh, either Jane or Whitney, uh, one or both of you sort of position your heads underneath the sticks to try to get a look up inside of the, the head that's been mounted there. Uh, you can see that it's it appears to just be the costume head. Uh, it's of course, got the feathers abounding, now sort of matted by the blood, but you don't see anything solid inside of there. Uh, and as you're both, you know, peeking under these hockey sticks to get a view inside of this mounted head atop them, you hear the big double heavy doors at the top of the stairs that takes, you know, that goes deeper into this uh, this building. You hear them like crash open much too. You hear like Bartleby like telling somebody that they're not allowed in here. I uh, like, you know, wait, where are you coming from? Uh, and he's like trying to, to stop whoever it is. Uh, and you just hear someone's voice ring out. I'm the head of, of, of all of the organizing for this. I'm not going to be stopped uh, when I've heard that no one's been allowed in here. What's going on? I've got people who need to start setting up the stands for the pep rally. Uh, and someone has arrived. I just want to yeah. add... That uh, when Jane and Whitney look, go to look under the head, Whitney takes Jane's hand just to, you know, an unsubconscious related act of uh, consoling and being consoled uh, when looking at to determine that, oh, my God, we're look, about to uncover something horrible. Yeah. To build on that, I, I think what ends up happening is like like the camera pans to to the way we're doing it, too. Like you take my hand and then um, both of our heads go like off to the angle side in the same direction as we look underneath. So, yes. 
And, um, you know, Jane will give you a reassuring squeeze of the hand. And it's like, oh, good. No head in there. Um, you, you, we can see the light coming, streaming in from the from the eye sockets of the mask, yeah. of, the, of the head. Yeah, and it's like... feel like uh, there's nothing in there. Similar to bug eyes, there's like lots of tiny little holes. Yes. So like you have like the, the patchy light filtering through into the mask. Yeah. And it does appear to be hollow. Uh, nothing, nothing up in there. And then, of course, we hear the... the yeah, then the doors crash open. Uh, you hear Bartleby startled at the top of the stairs. And someone has announced that they're not going to be stopped. They demand to see what's going on in here. And then I would proceed to let go of Whitney's hand, dig into my tote bag, and then pull out a notepad and the ornate fountain pen. Mm-hmm. And then get a determined look on my face. And then we'll march up to this individual calling out as I get nearer. And um, what kind of comment do you have for the Brindlewood Bay Tribune? <laughs> uh, Whitney, you are there uh, behind Jane. Do you line up behind with her or, or does Whitney do something else while she walks up to engage this person? No, Whitney looks at the television camera and says, looks like we're going to have to find another way to get ahead on this case. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so basically uh, I'm using Remington Steel, yeah. which is you're very talented at passing yourself off as someone you are not. If there is a piece of identification or disguise that would help you with your ruse, you have it, say what it is and add it to your cozy little place. So again, in my capacious tote bag, it's like I've got the handy dandy reporters type yeah. notepad and my ornate uh, fountain. Add that, add that to your cozy place and we will mm-hmm. use that in this upcoming role. Sure. Yeah, so you uh, march forward from the center of the rink uh, up to the gateway uh, that Nico is manning. He politely opens it for you, for you to exit the ice. I think as you exit, he's now just directing his gaze toward Whitney, who remains on the ice. Uh, and if if you had not come in, they would have gone onto the ice. Oh, sure. This, this man who's arrived. He's very wiry. He's like probably a good foot taller than Bartleby. He's, he's somewhere in the lower six foot range. Uh, he's wearing a sweater vest uh, that's actually probably sensible given the temperature of this room, but he's wearing argyle socks and brown sandals, which are a little bit less suitable and a little bit clashing. He has like a coiffed blonde hair off to one side, and he's wearing a little tag that is like, hello, my name is, and it says Clint Orville. Um, Jane, are you involved in local school board stuff at all? Um, not the school board mm-hmm. <clears throat> per se. I mean, I would say that it's more of like, um, if they need like a substitute teacher or something like that, I flash my like teaching credentials or what have you. And then mm-hmm. like act as a sub or like, you know, if they happen to need somebody like to help out with the production, you know, the, 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 the latest production at school, then like, you know, Jane's all about it as a consultant coach acting coach okay i think you you have seen this name clint orville come up before on the school board votes Mm. um he is on the school board and beyond seeing his name on some of those i don't think you've probably then based on your description like encountered clint much beyond voting or not voting for him for the school board (laughs) and so he's standing here his face is kind of flushed uh, from marching down these stairs, Bartleby is like holding out a hand somewhere, you know, maybe a third of the way down the stairs, slowly following behind him, holding a hand out, like gesturing for him to stop. It, he did not. Um, and Clint's here and he sees you and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're with who? 
I'm with the Brindlewood Bay Tribune. I mean, like, you know, like pen, pen in hand, ready to go with that notepad. And it's like, so what are your comments, sir, on, on finding this, this strange Com- comments on, on what is that? I, that I, is a bloody head of our I, mascot. Thank you for telling me the obvious. I can see that. Uh, how did it get there? You're you're reporting on the scene. I just came in the doors. I heard that it was locked. I, people need to get in here and set up for the game. Do you really think that people are going to be able to set up for the game when you have all this and then poor Mr. Nicolopoulos like down here, like waiting patiently to to see if he can actually clear the ice? Well, we certainly won't get the game going if we don't clear the ice. Look at that. It's right in the middle. They can't even. Uh, whatever the equivalent of teeing off is. I don't know. <laughs> drop the puck. They can't even drop the puck. <laughs> they can't even drop the puck. I don't know what it is either. Yeah. I forget. Um, <laughs> so basically, like, you know, Jane's going to try to, like, yeah. um, browbeat him into. It's like. Um, so are you, like, questioning him uh, about about the Firebird? About, like, how how he relates to it? or Yeah, I mean, I would imagine it's, like, you know, to, to, to like, cut to the chase. <laughs> Um, yeah. It's like uh, to to be able to say it's like you know there's there's evidence of like the the north uh, north high school um, rivalry um, having something to do with this and then just trying to get a handle on like what does he have anything really yeah. to do with with the game and and what's going on. So. Okay, uh, I'll take a metal move. Uh, you're going to take that at advantage because you're marking your reporter's notepad. Yes. Uh, thanks to Remington Steel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think definitely uh, Clint is the kind of person who will want, he wants his name in the news. If you're representing a, a news a newspaper, he will want to give you a statement. Now I'm going to call attention to it because it's like, you know, I know it does sometimes affect mm-hmm. the mechanic. So even though I'm taking advantage on the using the reporter's notebook, would yeah. I also cancel that out because of the condition? A little disturbed. I don't think a little disturbed applies in this instance. Okay, great. Um, so go ahead and do three and take the two highest. Yep. Uh, and you're specifically rolling presence. Okay. So that's basically six plus six plus one is 13. Oh, geez. All right. Another we are clue. just collecting clues, huh? All right. Yay. We'll come back to this. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna come from the start of this conversation. Uh, we're going to rejoin Mary. Um, Mary has gone. Uh, she's in the lowest level of the building, headed towards the rearmost exit. Uh, in order to dodge the constable who may very well also head down this way. She doesn't know, but she's at least ahead of him for now. Uh, And having just entered through the rear doors, you see a woman around five foot six. Uh, She's wearing a bright gold, like gold yellow uh, with little red patches, like blazer pantsuit combination. Uh, Her nails are manicured to match. She's got the ones that are like a good inch and a half long from her nail bed. Her heels are clicking like there's no way you would have not noticed her enter because her heels are like clicking on the concrete of this subfloor. And uh, question for Mary, uh, you didn't have any kids who went to this school. They went elsewhere. Um, have you encountered yes. many people related to the South High School at all? Have you encountered much of the staff who work there or anything like that? I would say probably not. Yeah. I feel like she wouldn't have been involved with too much stuff related to the school. So she probably wouldn't have met too many of the staff or anything like that. Gotcha. So 
you don't recognize this woman, uh, but she's dressed very clearly in South Senior High colors. Uh, and she walks with an air of authority about her. And as she heads towards you and, and sort of notices you standing there, she like stops and stands up a little straighter and is like, oh, um, hello. Uh, do you work here or, or anything? This is, I probably should have come in through the front door, huh? Oh, well, you, you probably should have this. This area is actually for staff only. Uh, I actually don't work here, but I was allowed in the back. I was uh, bringing Mr. Nicopolis's lunch from his wife. I'm a neighbor of theirs, and he forgot it when he came this morning. He's the Zamboni driver. Oh, yeah. I've, I think I've met him. I think I met him last night, actually, at the little pre-pep rally um, with the, the students, the free skate night. Oh. You you were here last night. Oh, uh, yes, of of course. Sorry, I'm uh, and she extends her hand to you. Uh, I'm Principal uh, Penelope Purvis of uh, Brindlewood Bay South Senior High. Oh, nice to meet you. I've heard so much about you and your school. And she'll shake her hand. Uh, I'm uh, Mary Tyson. Uh, tell me, uh, was I believe it's Mister Kestrel there in attendance? Uh, I hear he's going to be putting on a nice show at the first and third period marks for the school with his mascot costume. Yes, he was telling me earlier this week about the whole routine that he had planned. He actually took special lessons to improve his capabilities on the ice. It's very hard to see in the costume after all. But that's actually part of the reason why I'm here. I received a very distressed call from a Mr. Bartleby, I I think it was. Uh, He called and mentioned that something had happened to the mascot and uh, Rob didn't show up to teach his classes today. Um, We had no notice from him either. And so I'd assumed maybe he was around here somewhere. If his precious costume was involved, then certainly he's here somewhere. Uh, Now I'm regretting not saying anything about all of that. Uh, I think she'll just say, Oh, uh, well, there was apparently some kind of disturbance on the ice. I didn't really see much of what it was. But maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, I'd recommend talking to, I think I saw a local sheriff's deputy heading towards one of the locker rooms. Maybe if you could go talk to him, he can probably give you everything. And I think she's just going to hope these two are going to distract <laughs> each other. Okay. Uh, she grabs, you know, grabs hold of your hand with both of hers and says, oh, that's, that's a, um, a wonderful idea. You, you said it was at the locker rooms. I think those are this way. And she, she points towards where they are. Yeah. And I'll say, oh, yeah, that's the uh, direction I just came back from. I uh, met Mr. Nicopolis near the men's locker room. Oh, uh, well, uh, don't let me keep you from headed home. Um, yeah, I'll go and speak with uh, the deputy. Uh, and she heads back towards the room. Do you head out the back door or do you? Uh, yeah, she's going to head out the back door and try to circle back around towards the front to meet with the <laughs> other ones. Okay. Because she does have now a little bit of another, I guess, sort of a clue that we know he was at least alive last night and that he'd apparently been working on like something to put on like an 
bit of an extra show. You said practicing was what she said or training. Yeah, he'd like undergone some special training to be able to do okay. the the performance yeah. that he was going to try on the ice. Uh, and those are not official clues, but those are kind of just a little bit of context. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's not like a clue clue, but it's something to know. Yeah, yeah, not a mechanical clue. <laughs> Okay, so then you circle back around. We we go back from there to the scene unfolding at the edge of the rink. I will ask before we resume with Jane and get to the result of uh, her role and what happens with that. Is Whitney doing anything in particular during this conversation? Yeah, Whitney's using that moment to take the dagger. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're having this conversation. Jane, like notepad out, like trying to hold... Uh, Clint's attention and then meanwhile Whitney is like got the hockey stick under one foot both hands pulling on this dagger in the ice yeah something along those lines or flip the stick over whatever they need to do to get the dagger I love that so that's happening in the background as uh, Jane is having this conversation Jane you explain like like while reporting on the scene we found these colors uh, and of course the scene behind us like you know what, what sort of comment do you have on that so Clint starts to go on a fairly long-winded, very diplomatic sort of answer that like, you know, like, well, as a member, as a member of the school board, we really serve the entire community. uh, And we're really proud of both of our schools here in Brindlewood Bay. uh, And he like pontificates a little bit. But there are a couple of important details that you pull out from this conversation with him. Uh, One thing that he does talk about in in referring to the, the costume and the whole situation, he kind of gestures to it mid-conversation. And it's like, and you'll have to get a comment from Rob about this as well, of course. But looking out at this, I I know there's, of course, the rumors that the Firebird was intending to retire sometime soon. But uh, this is, of course, uh, not the way that we thought uh, any of that might go uh, in our considerations for, for naming a new mascot. But I do think that this perhaps accelerates some of that decision-making. So the detail you gain, it's a clue, uh, is there are rumors that the mascot was retiring. That's the capital C clue, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, the capital C clue. Uh, and then the capital V void clue you get because you had a, a very good role. Um, in the course of taking the statement from Clint, you sort of like get to really take him in. Like you, you get the full picture of the man as you're like standing there listening to him, jotting down fake or real notes on what he's saying. Um, and... As he's gesturing, he, he, he talks a lot with his hands. He fills a lot of space, this man. He, he is gesturing with his arm, and you catch he's got rolled up sleeves with the sweater vest. They're like just beyond the edge of, his, of uh, the bend of his elbow. And you catch a glimpse underneath the edge of that sleeve uh, of, a, of a strange tattoo on his arm. And the reason why it catches your attention is that it seems to move and shift a little bit. It's like, it's a little bit different every time you catch a glimpse of it. Um, So there's a strange tattoo in the crook of his arm. Uh, And towards the the very end of his statement, uh, and he says, and like, well, of course, an incident like this is not something that we would have uh, hoped for or expected. It is at the very least, and he like sort of gets like a, a, a wry smile it is at the very least something that I, I think Rob would have appreciated. I mean, it is quite theatrical, isn't it? Rob always was the, the passionate sort, and I guess if the mascot was going to go, this is a, a hell of a way to do it, right? 
this is an extreme gesture for sure. And she like proceeds to scribble that mm-hmm. the whole thing down. Um, well, I mean, I guess they should get on with it, I suppose. And I mean, in like basically what Jane has done was like she maneuvered herself so this way Clint was no longer facing the ice. And so you see the camera shot of like, you know, it's like focused on them. And then all of a sudden it focuses behind them on the ice as Whitney's like trying to get the dagger out. Whitney, Whitney gets it successfully out. And like the camera, like you sort of like see the two of your mouths moving, but the camera's in focus as Whitney like quietly makes her way back off of the ice passing of course nico on the way out does does she say or do anything uh to nico on the way uh nope nope okay uh so she passes by him and and like makes her way up behind jane and so now the two of you are back here together and clint i think at that moment as well bartleby finally makes his way down to the same level as the three of you standing there so now the four of you are there and Having completed his statement to the press, Clint reaches around and puts his arm around Bartleby's shoulders and says, well, I think that's enough chatting about this terrible situation. I think it's about time we let the professionals here, and he kind of like squeezes Bartleby's shoulders, let the professionals here uh, get to their job and get our rink cleared so we can play tonight. And Bartleby's like, well, I, I suppose I can start to tear this down if if that's what we, we need to do here. I, I think the police have probably finished their part of the investigation and i suppose and he's like good 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 excellent uh you get right on that and he kind of like gives him a little shove from the back and he starts heading back up the stairs there's like somebody who's waiting for him at the top that like left the door propped open and he says it'll just be a few minutes they're just clearing the rink for us uh and he heads back up and out to join the concessions people outside who are waiting to get in Hmm. So, Mary, I think around the same time, you have circled back around to the top and have sort of poked your head in the now open door down into this space. So the, the three mavens lock eyes. Um, what's next for the three of you? Well, we could check uh, Mr. Kestrel's home. I'd like to take a look and see if this is actually blood. Um, did anyone find how the assailant or whoever put together this horrendous panoply, uh, escaped this location? I did find, I'm not sure if it was done before or after, but in the locker room, there was what looked like the same substance, what looked like blood. Someone wrote on the wall, the days of the firebird are numbered. And it could be that they wrote that after doing the rest and snuck out the back. I I also ran into a the school principal who said that Mr. Kestrel didn't come into work today. So that's got me a little worried. I kind of agree with Whitney that the next step might be to check on him. Yeah. What's the principal doing here? Uh, I guess... Maybe she's here to check on things for the game, but now that you say that, it is very odd for her to be here this early in the day. But didn't didn't Bartleby say that he had called somebody at the school to let them know that the game may not happen? 
would she be the one that he would have called? Yes, now that you say that, she did mention that someone called her. All right, that makes a lot more sense as to why she's here. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we should find out whether Mr. Kestrel's around. Let's go over to his house and and see if there's anything there that we can't uncover. Okay. The Mavens make their way back up the stairs, out the building to Mary's waiting car. Uh, and you hop in, Whitney in the back, Jane and shotgun, Mary driving. Whitney almost drinks the slushy of lead and then goes, <laughs> run. Yeah. And I imagine it's interesting watching uh, Whitney get in because Mustang is not have a lot of space to easily get into the backseat of. <laughs> so it is very, it's got to be very interesting watching uh, Whitney already. Uh, Several drinks in this morning. I was gonna say, wasn't she three making her way to the wind the a little bit? Of this car, yeah. <laughs> she's definitely high functioning. Yes, and she's carrying a dagger and holding a glass of blood, and she gets in <laughs> like immaculately. Yes, you know what? I, I mean, I'm sure that this is nothing compared to any of the parties that she's attended on the Riviera. So, right. So uh, what I will offer real quick before we go to our scene then at Rob's house, uh, you are up to four regular clues and you do have three void clues. So if you would like to, uh, tagging off of what I said earlier, where you're welcome to use void clues for this mystery with a complexity of six, if you're able to integrate everything, that would be seven towards seven totals. So that would be a plus one on your theorized role. We could theorize now where you could... Like basically, we could theorize now and we could have our, our final scene of this mystery take place at Rob's house, or we could go there and gain more information and then theorize after. I do have a, a bit of a theory, like, you know, that that will incorporate I a little bit of something, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, let's let's see how it comes out. I honestly don't know how the muffin necessarily ties in, so I don't <laughs> think we're going to be using that as a clue, clue, clue. But I mean, like for, for the other ones, right? So, I mean, like we've got the flags, we've got the dagger, the days of the firebird are numbered, rumors that the mascot was retiring, and the pile of ashes. It just speaks to me of some sort of like ritual cult thing where... It's like the symbolism is taken a little bit too far um, in terms of tying in like the rival school or maybe it's like it's, it's meant to pin them, even though it's like it's not them. Right. So, I mean, the dagger covered in blood, I mean, it could almost be like a symbol, but yet that ritual dagger is real. So somehow to use blood and it doesn't have to be human blood, it could be like, you know, pig's blood or, or some um blood from the school lab and then just kind of like tying in this idea that you know somebody burned something to to show how the the firebird is going to go out um to incorporate the pile of ashes and then the days of the firebird are numbered um in terms of like again it's like you know in real life retiring but it's like symbolizing it's like you know the firebird is is done you know for the for the school and then blaming the the essentially vandalism because i mean again we don't see a body so i mean like blaming the vandalism on the rival school to cover up that this is just like some sort of ritualistic 
ending for this symbol, the, the symbol of the mascot. And then the strange tattoo could be, again, like, you know, some kind of indicator of the supernatural part of it behind the ritual, you know, to tie that in. And all that to basically say this is like kind of messed up. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you have, Jiro? (laughs) I had something kind of similar, but less supernatural. Okay. Which problem with this is it doesn't factor the tattoo in really. Uh, but you fit in the muffin thinking (laughs) (laughs) uh, that Kestrel did this Mm. like this was his going out with a bang type thing it was like basically performance art oh wow like to retire the character the firebird defeated by the enemy team so that's why the other team's colors the dagger all the blood and everything in the ash and maybe like he had an idea at some point of like appearing through like the ash because like a firebird is like a phoenix like it's a rising from the ashes type thing like maybe his idea was that's him going on to his next thing in life and he wanted it to be like the firebird was killed but it's rising on as something else type thing the only issue is it only incorporates one of the three void clues which is the ashes in the shape of the firebird logo right so it doesn't incorporate in the strange like ray bradbury tattoo and it doesn't incorporate in the weird muffin but let's just say perhaps that it is true that rob kestrel was retiring as the firebird and it is so true that he decided to use these uh, rival colors. I'm going to suggest, perhaps, because Rob was a very strapping 34-year-old man. He was not in the vicinity near of retiring from his profession as a social studies teacher. But perhaps Clint Orville and Rob Kestrel have some sort of uh, relationship together and the this man on the board of uh, the school has offered dear Mr. Kestrel an opportunity to earn his employ and swap schools, as it were, from south to north. And he's decided to accept such an offer and implant subtly this dagger in the heart of the firebird, as it were. And then when he was all done, his theatrics and his uh, his panoply on the ass, he sat in a very loquacious and comfortable spot in the stands, a spot he has been known to sit before and enjoy himself a good old banana nut muffin. But before he could finish said muffin, a rap tap tapping at the door as Bottleby gained entrance for the day, startled him and he made his escape. I like that too. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so let's... Let's go through clues now. Uh, I feel like we're 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 working our way towards a uh, an answer here. There is also there is kind of a hybrid of these two theories where it, both things could be true. Where R- Rob could have done this as a send off to the Firebird icon, and there also could be some cult shit involved. Yeah, um, but I'll I'll leave that up to y'all to mm-hmm. to determine exactly which way you want to go. But I will put that off there out there. Let's uh, let's go through our clues. So flags of the rival school. Um, we've agreed. Can I say one thing before you do yeah, that? Go ahead. And I want to say, because uh, as we all know, in Amanda Delacorte, in 
the peregrine heart, there wasn't nice. a murder at all. We nice. thought that there had been a murder the entire time, but it was only in the final pages of the book that the suspect we had all thought to be deceased revealed himself, the peregrine heart indeed. Perfect. Excellent. Old crown mystery move. Nice. Very yep. nice. I love it. I think traditionally you can't use the gold crown mysteries on the theorized role. Yeah. But both A, flavor wise, and B, I don't know, it's a one shot. I'm happy with just letting it ride. And that's absolutely the kind of thing that would be in, yeah. like, that's been in mysteries. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Books where yes. It's like, absolutely. Oh, the person we thought that died was the perpetrator for a confused audience member uh there is a special move in the game brindlewood bay called the gold crown mysteries move uh and what this move does is when a maven says this reminds me of something that happened to amanda delacourt and then proceeds to explain a a book that it relates to the rest of the mavens can join in to sort of flesh out the nature of that book and its title and it gets added to a fun list Uh, But the important thing is that uh, if you say that in relation to a situation that's unfolding, you can then apply automatically a 12 plus to any role. Generally, that does exclude the theorized, but it's a one shot and we're just going to this is good. This is good. We're going to roll with it. I just like the fact that we were all still in character because I could picture us in the car driving towards Rob Kestrel's house. Mm -hmm. And like I could see the scene unfolding as everyone's deliberating and uh, Mm -hmm. and then taking their moment. I'm assuming there's maybe a phone call in between of, of somebody to like the secretary who works at the to school get his to, like, address, get his address. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh, or I have it because he's my, uh, oh, I was yeah. going to say you oh, yeah. have, oh, you have yeah. his address. You oh yeah. Have it. You, cause like you, you, you send him a check in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically the comment in the car would be, it's like, you know, you roll off like Rob's address and then should I, inquire why you know his address so well i mean you literally just rattled it off as soon as we said his name in the car Uh, well rob's been my pool boy for the last couple of years you may have seen him out there um, skimming the water as it were probably not much as you have so all right great and then she plugs in the directions on her phone whitney goes to drink from her glass again it goes like shit <laughs> pulls, it, pulls it back <laughs> okay well we'll just for fun we'll take off our clues and see how many we've we've covered here uh, with our theory uh so we have flags of the rival school uh, our explanation for that is that uh this is symbolic of rob leaving the school going to the other one or at the very least framing the other school like as part of this narrative that he's telling right it's it's part of the pageantry to have the rival school be responsible right uh, so dagger covered in blood. So the fact that it's in North Senior High Colors, that ties in. It's covered in blood because it's stabbed as part of this pyre. It's part of the pageantry. Again, the murder of the Firebird. The days of the Firebird are numbered. Uh, again, uh, revealing like this is part of a retiring message. So this is just relating to that. Rumors that the mascot was retiring, building into the same thing. So the bit of muffin that tastes impossibly good. It, it was a fresh, hot, good quality banana nut muffin because it was placed there shortly before the crime scene was discovered and so that's how we're integrating the, the i've i've never seen the muffin integrated that way <laughs> that's so fun. good that. that was awesome uh it's it's, no. it's one of my favorite void clips and it makes this mystery, sense so like i almost always I can, use it. i can see it after after kyle said it like just sitting in the stands looking over their work and then they hear the door open and have to bolt yeah but then but then this 
this begs the question for Jane, unfortunately, because then it's like, you know, now like, like possibly suspecting it's like, it's fresh. Okay, fine. Where the hell did he get it? I want to know. So I can like, you know, like find that bakery and then like, you know, steal their secret. If we encounter Rob in the final scene, maybe you'll get an opportunity to ask him. Yes, If he is into weird cult stuff, maybe he's got some kind of deal for supernaturally good muffins. I will, I will say there, there is, uh, baked into some of the background for this mystery there is a like semi-canonical answer to that question so uh you you can uh that. that in the final scenes if you want i do uh, <laughs> so, so we've integrated the muffin uh we've integrated the ashes of the shape of the firebird logo because it's mm-hmm. part of the pageantry part of the the ritualistic mm-hmm. element and glimpse of a strange tattoo at the very least we're using that to connect clint to all this yes um yeah are we taking a stronger cult bent or are, is that as far as this clue takes us? I guess it could because like that could have been also like where they got the idea to do it this way because it is like they're like mimicking a real ritual they've done yeah, before, you I know? Okay. So I mean, f- and if if anything, it could be like the like if we're going to just skirt that edge of the of the supernatural. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it is. Or I mean, excuse me, maybe it isn't because it's like, you know, like maybe it was just a trick of the light or because of the way his skin moved or whatever. But I mean, if you're going to incorporate more of the the creepiness of it, yeah. then yes, it's like it's shifting because it's like it's reacting to mm-hmm. the ritual and, that has taken place. You know? All right. And even if, uh, like you say, like you do, like it's just a shifting of the light, him having the tattoo to begin with, it could be like some tattoo of some society or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I like, like maybe we'd find out that Rob had a similar one or something. Ooh, very so, fun. But only Whitney would know. <laughs> yeah, you've seen Rob shirtless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I mean, that's a way to integrate that clue. What if Rob has a matching tattoo? Yeah, I was trying to yeah. hint at that, yeah. but I didn't want to speak to it because we haven't seen the tattoo yet. So I thought I'd let the, the role apply. I mean, as as part of the theorize, you can you can nail that down. You can say what it was. Nice. So I'll, I'll give it to Whitney then. Where is the tattoo on Rob's body and what is it exactly? It's on his uh, upper bicep mm-hmm. on the like a, the, almost the shoulder itself. I want to say that it's like. Um, if most people would think it'd be a barbecue and the th- reason it moves is because it looks like the steam of the meat is uh is coming off of it but it is actually a boucan which is a 17th century frame to cook or cure meat on it interesting okay it's got fire imagery still yep. yeah so that's Love cool it. also because it's a boucan that is the origin of buccaneer oh holy shit we're tying all the way through yeah, because they used to like uh, they'd hunt illegal meat on the islands they stopped at, right? Like they'd poach. Mm, yeah. yeah. Okay, so like who rolls on this, or it's not necessary we don't. Uh, because we're gold crowning this. There is no roll. Uh, we're just going to roll with it uh, as a I twelve agree. plus. So in the case of a twelve plus on the theorize, <laughs> oh joy, I forgot. Uh, not only is it the correct solution, so we'll we'll present you an opportunity to take down your culprit or otherwise save the day. But on a 12 plus, a person involved in the dark conspiracy of Brindlewood Bay also reveals themselves to the mavens. Holy uh, shit, we so get this to this is going to be a fun, interesting scene. So 
I think Mary is driving a little bit more carefully than normal on this trip over because you all are having this sort of detailed discussion uh, about the nature of this mystery along the way. Um, so your car is is pulling up kind of slowly along the drive in a small neighborhood, just you know, a half mile from Brindlewood Bay South Senior High. It's very nearby. And as you're coming slowly along this quiet suburban street, there's a house uh, at, at the end on the corner where the, there's a T-junction that then goes in two different directions. And the house in the corner, there's a small sedan, uh, gray. It's got like a, a million bumper stickers on the back that uh, relate to either the school or to like thespian culture or to history. And as your car kind of slowly pulls up, uh, do you block the drive at all or do you park on the street? You know what? I think she's going to park in the driveway. And more than that, she's going to park like at a diagonal. If it's like a double drive, is it like a two car garage mm -hmm. type house? Yeah, she's going to park kind of like at a diagonal. So like you couldn't get around it either Excellent. side. So you pull in and you're uh, Mustang. What color is it? Just for my mind's eye. Uh, I think this one is probably also red, but it's like a much brighter, like uh, candy apple red. Love it. So you've parked Caddy Corner uh, in this driveway, blocking in the car that's here. Given the nature of these bumper stickers, I think you probably assume that this is Rob's car. And actually, in fact, I think Whitney knows that it's Rob's car as it's been at her house before. And you don't see anyone inside of the car. The house seems quiet. All the curtains are drawn. It's daylight outside. You know, it's probably only 10, 1030 a.m. right now. You can't see if there are any lights on inside. Uh, but the house seems quiet. What do the mavens do? Um, I'm going to put my wine glass on the hood and then I'm going to look at the group and I'm going to say, I'm just going to check around the back. If the two of you want to knock on the door in case Rob is uh, going to flee. And if, if not, I'll, uh, I'll slip myself in through the back. Are you going to be okay by yourself? I mean, well, I won't let anything come to come to harm. I'll be, I'll be fine. Okay. Before you go, and she'll uh, go around to the trunk and open it up and take out a tire iron, and she will <laughs> hand it to Whitney, and she says, just in case. You don't happen to have my nine iron in there instead, <laughs> do you? <laughs> and she'll go, uh, you know, we left so in such a hurry, but wait a second. And she'll look back in, and there is, in fact, a golf bag in there that Whitney forgot to take out the last time the two of them were out <laughs> chipping together. And she takes the nine iron out instead and hands her that. And she will hang on to the tire iron herself instead then. Excellent. A more elegant weapon. <laughs> For a more civilized age. Uh, so, Whitney, you make your way around the back. Uh, I don't think that there is... Uh, there's, a, like, a yard in the back, but... There's only like some bushes. There's no like real fence line or anything. So you don't have to like try to climb a fence or, or even go through a gate. You can just sort of you know, walk around carefully slip in between the bushes in the house uh, and make your way around the backside. Uh, these windows, the curtains are similarly drawn. Uh, and so you can't like make you can't really see inside. Uh, but you do make your way up to the back door. And the other two of you make your way to the front. Do you ring the bell or anything? Or do you like try to get attention of anyone in the house? Or do you just wait there while Whitney makes her way in? I think that from her capacious tote bag, <laughs> um, Jane is going to to gesture to Mary to kind of stay a little bit behind her. 
because then she's going to pull out a Bible and she's going to pull out like a, 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 a <laughs> like a long uh, scarf to to kind of just like wrap like uh, elegantly around her head and then just make like she's like, you know, um, one of those, um, you know, the, the, the like a missionary from some group or another. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And we can ring the doorbell. Yeah. You ring the doorbell. Whitney, you hear the doorbell ring. And as it's like, it's a kind of a longer chime. Uh, as the chime is completing, it's like sort of, it's like, it's like too long of a chime. It's <laughs> absurdly long for a door chime. Uh, and as it's like nearing the end, you like time that for when you crack open the back door. Um, it is unlocked. Um, it's not um, like you don't have to break and enter. You just sort of go in. You enter through that back door. Uh, the door swings open. You're in like a kitchen space. There is a, a light that's still on like above the stove, but otherwise the main chandelier in here, it's like sort of a kitchen dining situation. Uh, it's off. You can kind of see in like there's a there's a wall in front of you, but there's like one of those opening holes in it. There's like a couple of plants there. You can kind of see into a living room that's beyond through the main entryway there. And you see like the back of a woman's head, her hair cascading down the chair whose back is to that entryway into there. She has a towel or something over her face. And she's holding uh, off to the side. You see, like, there's a bottle sitting next to the chair that she's in. That's a, a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. And it's empty. And she's she's sitting in that chair with her back to you. Uh, she appears to have not heard you enter through the rear. Uh, at the chime is going off, she does seem to, like, be a little bit disturbed by that. And she's, like, waving her arms. Uh, and you, you hear her go, like, Rob, get the door. Uh, and at the front door... Um, you hear some voice from inside, some woman's voice, say these words. And then there's a, uh, a door you, you cannot see. It's on the other side of the wall from you, Whitney. But there's a door that, based on its location in the house, probably goes to the garage. You hear it open and the padding of uh, not just one, but two sets of feet as they head towards the front door. And you hear a voice like, oh, uh, I, can, I can get it. Don't worry. The door opens and Jane and Mary in front of you, you see two people. Uh, one you recognize. One is Clint Orville and one is Rob Kestrel, who <laughs> by Whitney's description uh, is tall, swarthy, freckled. Is he shirtless? Uh, yeah, sure. He's shirtless. <laughs> yeah. Um in the dead of winter, he's, he's shirtless, great. <laughs> uh, and, and you can you can see that it, he's shirtless and he's like holding a torch and he's got like body paint on that's in the the buccaneers colors that's in the silver and blue. And uh, he answers the door, and I will, I will have a quick just to uh, figure out the situation here. I will have a quick day move from Jane just to see if you're recognized by Clint. Because yeah, I was expecting you. That. It is you again. Um, yes, it is me again. <laughs> in a different profession. Yes. <laughs> so, so what are you uh, worried about? Oh, I'm definitely worried about being recognized <laughs> as she's as there. she's ready to say. It's like you know, have you found your savior today? <laughs> <laughs> you heard the good word. Did you hear love that? Um. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Okay. So I will have you roll. This is uh, composure, probably. Uh, either composure or I could see this as uh, presence as well. Either way. selling it. 
Yeah. Um, either way. Yeah, let's do uh, presence and you have advantage because you're using your... Um, I'm assuming you're using Remington Steel. Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay, so that is... Six plus three plus one is a ten. The ten. All right. You do what you intended to do. He does not recognize you. Yes. Uh, he d- he must not have paid close enough attention to your face. Admittedly, he's Clint is one of those people who's much more focused on himself at all times. Well, he was not even looking at Jane when when she was <laughs> interviewing him. I mean, like yeah. you know, he was making these big just like you know gestures, and he was you know like referring to anything else but to her. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just for for fun, we'll say that he is also uh, shirtless, but he's still wearing the sweater vest. Uh, so, like, he doesn't have his undershirt on, but he is wearing the sweater vest. So basically, it's like you know when she she's she's wrapped up her head in yeah. this thing, and then she's got the Bible in front of her, and she's literally like you know saying in a different kind of voice in a different kind of tone. It's like, have you heard the good word today? Have you found your savior? Uh, <laughs> and Rob responds first. He is shirtless, painted up, holding this torch, lit. And he's like, um, uh, I'm a little busy right now. I don't really have time for scripture. But the scripture has time for you. Uh, and and Clint is like, uh, I'll, I'll handle this. Go. Go back with my sister. Uh, She's had way too much of the Savignon. She needs somebody to help her with that. And Rob's like, what do I do? And he's like, just extinguish the torch. We don't need it yet. I I don't know why you lit it already anyway. (laughs) And Rob kind of shrugs. So while this distraction is happening at the front door, I want to slide around the kitchen to towards that door they came from and uh, have a peek inside. Yeah. While I pass the woman, I think the Sauvignon Blanc is for dilettantes and amateurs trapped in the late 90s, let alone 30 years later. Yeah, silently. Right. But judging, Whitney slips around the corner. I think, like, you time it just right where Rob has walked past to go and check on who is Clint's sister, uh, who I will say for the sake of me not having me being able to be less careful with my language. It is uh, his wife. He goes around to to help her. And as he passes you, you slide just out of his vision around the corner. Of course, Clint's back is to you, to the door, and you slide past him through the open doorway into the garage. Uh, Inside, you find that there is a full-size, I would say, replica of the tattoo you described. A a presumably working version of one of these, uh, how do you pronounce it, Bukan? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not currently lit, but there is like all of the supplies near it to light it. And there is, <laughs> Rob, Rob did not extinguish the torch. He's just carried the torch and he's just in his living room with a, a lit torch right now. And uh, on a table nearby where this has been set up, you find the rest of the Firebird costume that presumably they were preparing to burn in some fashion. You find that there. Rob has left to the other room. Clint is addressing them at the door. Mary Jane I just realized your names together are a word. Uh, uh, (laughs) uh, Mary and Jane, what do you say to Clint? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to get out of this situation? Everyone, but especially you two right now. I feel like Mary's just going to stay quiet and let uh, Jane do all the talking. She's got the tire iron behind her. She's probably got like both her hands behind her back trying to look demure. 
<laughs> she is still holding it higher, higher. The camera pans around, so we see Mary holding it behind her back. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! Uh, so this this is your opportunity to to resolve the mystery. What do you do? What happens here? I'm curious. Have you prepared anything ahead of time to have somebody like come? Uh, is it just the three of you saying something? Well, I want to say I want <laughs> I want to say that you know at the very least that if Jane hasn't already set up like a voice record on her phone because she's practiced in doing this, like you know, just to kind of like set things up so this way, like you know, just in case there's any moments that uh, mm-hmm. you know she can she can use for later. Um, she set up voice record on her phone. Not only that, but I mean, I feel like she's tried to call what we consider the authorities, but not really, but just mm-hmm. to have an official presence nearby, you know, for, for when we go do this, cause we're just, <laughs> we're just like nosy old Parkers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're kind of just creating a distraction at this point to just kind of like wait until the cops come or what is, have you. Is, is this a situation then where they're on their way and you're just trying to keep them here for oh, them yeah. to show up? For sure. Uh, and so then is the is the result that you're aiming for some sort of bringing to justice, air quotes, for what, what the defacing that's happened? Absolutely. Or? Because, I mean, yeah. again, it's, you know, the evidence is all there and they're, yeah. yeah. So. And like... At a minimum, it would be vandalism. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Especially before like an important event. I also need to know why they did it because yeah, like um, I I think that the only way you're going to get that answer is through confrontation with those responsible. Is what I'll say. Um, like you you've now like seen that they had something else they were preparing here that they were going to like maybe complete some ritual. So I don't know if there's anything else you can learn from the environment itself. Yeah, I know I said Mary was going to let Jane do but maybe she'll just offhandedly say after we see uh, Rob walk away, oh, those colors, is that uh, body paint? Are you supporting Northside for tonight's hockey game? I think Clint is like, oh, uh, no, 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 of course, like South Senior High should do their their best at this game. We're uh, This is a separate matter that... Um, this is unrelated to the game tonight. Uh, can I? I want to like walk up behind him and and like hold the cold of the nine iron as though it were some sort of gun or something to his <laughs> to his lower back that's exposed by the sweater vest oh and say, "God, yes, you better explain what's going on behind the scenes here, sugar, because it's not all adding up." What ceremony? Are you two buffoons undertaken? Speak now. And behind the Bible, Jane's going to pull like pull out the phone and like, you know, like hide it behind the Bible that she's raising up in front of her face. So this way we capture everything. <laughs> I drag my fingernail, like I click it across the shaft of the nine iron, making that metallic clicky sound as though I was cocking a gun. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. Does Mary like not so subtly reveal the tire iron like from behind her back? Yeah. Yeah. I think she'll just like slow. Clint slowly raises his hands above his head and, and he 
oh, uh, I certainly don't know what you're talking. And you like push it in a little deeper in his back. He's like, talking about, I might have an idea. Uh, we, it was just, just a lark. It was just an idea that Rob, and you like twist it a little. It's like, well, go on. I, I have, I have a, a family history in this town. Our, our family has, has lived here for many generations and they have a, a little bit of a, a reputation going far enough back. The Orvilles uh, were a little bit involved in the founding of the town and, and maybe um, some more occult minded stuff. Just, not, nothing, nothing too strange, all for the good of, of, of the city at the time. And it's, it's all just reputation. But I, I found these books and I, Rob is a, a good friend of mine. He's my brother-in-law. And, and we, we thought it would be fun in, in the style of my family to, to kind of give a little ceremony to the, the end of uh, a part of his life, to, to the end of a phase. It, it's, it's, it's harmless. No, no. I don't think so, sugar. The smell of that axe body spread dark temptation coming off you right now. I know there's something more going on and you will tell us. Rob comes back from the other room. uh, The torch. The torch. (laughs) uh, With the torch. And he's like, what? Who are you? Why are you in my house? And he like takes a step forward with the torch leaning closer to you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah what type of torch is this is this like a, a tiki torch or it's it's like a a piece of wood that has had a a, a kerosene soaked rag wrapped around the top and is lit <laughs> yeah like something you'd chase the frankenstein's monster yeah with. yes <laughs> who uses such a thing in their own house that's so dangerous <laughs> like it drips at all i'm just imagining him walking around in like these little pieces of like Kerosene so drag falling down to the floor. <laughs> oh no, I like the idea that he like leans towards you. No, this is good because you guys have a full success on this. And I think a bit of the kerosene soaked drag burns off and falls <gasps> to the carpet. And the carpet catches on fire just a little bit in front of him. And he panics. And I think he like sort of like steps back and like chucks the torch out the front window into the front yard. So it like shatters and it like lands in the yard. And the grass is, it's like winter. It's, it, no, nothing burns, but the torch just sort of sits there in the lawn, uh, still ablaze as he like tries to stamp out the fire. With his bare feet. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not a wise decision. I think he, Rob ends up like falling back on his, on his butt, his feet singed. <laughs> I did say he had more muscle than sense. <laughs> <laughs> and and Jane Jane just kind of looks at you from behind the behind the Bible, which has the voice record on it. It's like you like that, really? <laughs> Beef, no brain. <laughs> yeah, I think now that he's like on the ground and he's like patting patting at his foot, and he like looks up and gets a better look at you, and it's like sort of squints and says like, Miss Miss Remington. Is that that's right honey you hadn't been by to clean my pool in a while and so i got a little concerned and started looking into this only to find you here drinking sauvignon blancs and i roll my eyes and uh 
and, and plotting to burn your own house down. He's like, and he's like rubbing his foot and, and we were just, we were just doing something. Clint was telling me that if we did this, then, then the firebird would live forever. I, I dedicated 10 years of my life to, to this project, this idea, this, this mascot. I made the mascot by hand myself. It was a, a passion thing, but he offered me this really good gig at the other school. I was going to be like a creative director over their whole image, like their whole you know, sort of PR. I was going to get to create something new again. But I, I wanted to give a proper send off. And, and, and Clinton was telling me that this would be the way to do that. And, and of course, like, you know, I, it's a firebird. You got to it's it's death and rebirth, right? All those beautiful images. Oh, Clint, this is so much bigger than we thought with the ash you've secreted underneath the ass itself. What's going on here, Clint? What are you doing? Just. Just trying to make history, trying to put this town on the map for something other than wailing and dinner parties and tourists. This was going to be something. Ten years of Rob's life had gone into this, and I was going to make it real, something real, something. But uh, I guess that's all over now. <laughs> that's right. Out the front door. As um, Jane holds up the voice recorder and saying, yes, this is also real. And as she's holding up the voice recorder, I think we hear the whoop whoop of the cop car yeah. behind us in the front. And uh, Whitney, golf club like a gun in his back, walks the unknowing Clint out the door towards the police car. Rob, I think, tags along. Yeah, of all the things Rob did, he didn't tell him that was a golf club. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> well, he was incredible. Well, I'm not going to I think say. we got lucky because the torch like distracted him with the dick kerosene that dripped. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. <laughs> the three of you stand outside as these two men are put in the back of the cop car, painted up in North high colors. And then we, we also like, you know, indicate it's like, you know, if you want to know where the rest of the costume is, it's back in the, the house. Yeah. They collect that. They take a statement from you. You explain the situation as best as you understand it to them. The deputy is there with his hat, totally unknowing that you all were at the scene of the like mm -hmm. the scene of the crime at sure. all. Uh, and and he he takes down all of your notes. Um, and I've got one little extra tidbit for you because you guys did get the twelve plus on this. As you're standing there outside, having finished giving your note to the police, you turn back to then head back to your own vehicle, and you see the door to the house still open, and Luna Kestrel, uh, wife of Rob Kestrel, Luna Orville Kestrel, her maiden name Orville, sister to Clint. Uh, she stands there in the doorway, the rag she's taken off uh, from the headache she was nursing. She's dressed in house clothes, something simple, something something comfortable. She's got straight, long blonde hair. Despite being at home and drinking at home, she is still wearing like rather high heels. She, like, she almost reaches the top of this doorway. She's a very tall woman to begin with. Um, and around her neck, you see a pendant that is silver with blue inlay. And it is in the symbol of the Bukan there around her neck. And as they are being taken away as the police car is driving off, she gives a little wave to them in the car. 
she does not seem distressed. She seems like knowing. She gives like a like a nod. And then she looks at the three of you and sort of like makes a shooing gesture with her hand. And then she goes inside and closes the door behind her. And then the camera follows her inside. And we get to see this. The mavens do not. Uh, but the camera follows her inside. As she goes over to, in that living room, there's a bookcase. And on one of the shelves of the bookcase, it's a, it's a wide one. There is every Amanda Delacourt novel on her bookcase. They're in the order that the series progresses. And she pulls off one of the books from the shelf. Uh, it's the one, Whitney, that you referenced originally during the Theorize. Uh, what was the title of that book again? Do you remember? The Peregrine Heart. Yes, she pulls off The Peregrine Heart and she flips open to the inside cover of it where there is just sort of sitting there inside of the book uh, a picture of Clint and Rob. And she grabs from the table a pen and she makes a check mark over the picture, closes the book, and puts it back onto the shelf. And that's where we close that scene. Whitney's pool glitters in the April weekend sun as she herself reclines on a pool lounger in an attractive two-piece. She sips from a different wine glass, having forgotten the other one on the roof of Mary's car. She holds and twirls the ritual dagger in her other hand. The pool is spotless, clean, and devoid of debris having doubtlessly been cleaned by someone new recently. She sets down her glass and dagger and gets up lithely and dives cleanly into the pool with a small splash. And as the camera pans back, you can vaguely make out a grayish circular sheen around the exterior of the pool. Is that the symbol of the firebird? Fade to black. Mary is back. She fills up the tank in her car, even though it's not even a quarter down yet. She parks, goes inside, and decides to head into the garage just to basically fiddle around with the other car, even though it doesn't need any actual work. And she goes to grab her work gloves off the table that she had set them on before. And as she picks them up, she notices that they're covered in what looks like... At first, she thinks she somehow got oil on them, but she doesn't know how that happened. And as she looks at it, she realizes that it looks like blood just like there was all over the crime scene. And her eyes just kind of widen, and she drops the gloves to the ground. So I think that after this, it's like there's a, there's a time where Jane decides she needs to do a little bit of research for a part or just to, just to kind of like brush up on some things that she had possibly forgotten. And she goes to the library, but before she goes to the library, she's 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 done some baking. And for whatever reason, it's like she's still trying to figure out how to do that recipe of the banana walnut muffins. So she kind of does the experiment, but 
it's close. It's still close, but not quite there. And then she goes to the library and, of course, gives the um, the librarian um, some of these muffins. And then she proceeds to go into the stacks, first trying to research, like, some variations on the recipe, but then also going through the stacks and looking for, like, the different sonnets or, like, plays, like, short plays that she could possibly use for practice. And as she's going through the stacks, the camera follows her down the main aisle. And she's going, it's like a side profile view. And for every stack that she passes, there's someone in a robe with a mask that appears after she passes the stack. And this goes down as she goes through the library And you can see darkness or shadow behind her. So anyway, everybody, that was Brindlewood Bay. (laughs) 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 That was incredible. The intro and outro music for all IPM episodes is composed by Benny James. Our graphic art and logo are by Matthias Storelli. You can support International Podcast Month by sharing and talking about the event. And you can even buy our team members a Kofi. Links are in the show notes. Follow us at PodMonth on Twitter and use the hashtag PodMonth2022. Head on over to internationalpodcastmonth.com for the month-long blog and for more information about the event. International Podcast Month. Celebrating creators, sharing listeners.